Hey, everyone. Welcome to the IASA podcast. I'm Jason Neville, Director of Social Media and Publications for IASA. Our podcast today is about what happens if someone in your district tests positive for COVID-19. Unfortunately, our guest recently went through that experience. We reached out to Brad Pullinan, superintendent of Riverton School District, to see if he would be willing to discuss what he learned to help other superintendents out who may find themselves in a similar situation. Brad, welcome to the IESA podcast. Can you start uh, just by sharing a little bit about yourself and your school district? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jason. In Riverton, we are a fairly small community. Uh, we have about 1,400 kids split across three buildings at the elementary school, middle, and high school. We also have a birth to three program, which we have about 50 students and families enrolled in. So we're close to about 1,500 people that we serve. We're right uh, just east of Springfield, Illinois, and we're, we're, we're fairly high in, or excuse me, low income in our community and, and our students, uh, the population about 55% uh, is free or reduced lunch. Uh, so we do a lot of things or we try to do a lot of things in our schools and our district to provide for the families that need us. And, and of course, one of those is, is trying to be in school because our students need it uh, just as much as anyone. So I mentioned a little bit while you're on the podcast, but let's kind of start there. We're sort of getting everybody up to speed on kind of what your district was planning heading into this year and then sort of what happened and how you kind of, I guess, had to adjust on the fly. Sure. Certainly. You know, we started planning back in April in, in trying to identify as many different scenarios as possible, not really knowing what was going to happen or what kind of guidance we were going to get from the state. So I had our staff, our principals and their staffs working on trying to figure out every single little scenario. So we get to June 23rd and the guidance comes out from the state, the initial guidance. And, and we review that and we, we had a team of about 20 people uh, split across three different transition teams that got together to discuss how we're going to come back to school with the intent of us releasing this information to our community on July 13th. One of the differences in Riverton schools from a lot of the state is that we have a fall break. And so we typically start school a week earlier than most schools. So we felt we needed to get the information out soon. So initially we released, we were going to have five days of in-person learning with students, and we were going to give a virtual option for those who opted out. As the summer progressed in our county, Sangamon County, the cases began to rise, the positivity rate began to rise, and we, we did not think it was safe to be able to do what we initially wanted to do. So we decided to switch and went to a hybrid learning model where students attended in two groups on A days and B days, two days a week, and there was one day of remote learning for all students where we clean, disinfect, and we also deliver food to our families on that day so we don't have to serve breakfast in the schools and they get uh, lunch for the days that they're not there. So since then, of course, we uh, had a case in our buildings on our third day of student attendance, we found out and we had to change. And we decided on Thursday of last week to go all remote, which is something we had communicated continuously that this would be a possibility since July. You know, there's a good chance uh, superintendents kind of find themselves in sort of a similar a similar position that you did. Can you walk us sort of through the steps? You mentioned you found out 
just so un- understand the prod the, the progress like how did you find out what, what what did you do next and then the contact tracing can you kind of take uh take us through the process that went through once you had sort of heard the news and how you heard the news so i happened to actually be at our middle school i was meeting with one of our instructional coaches at the time that i uh, was contacted by our middle school principal and and said that uh <clears throat> she had somebody on our line our business manager who needed to talk to me and so of course i'm i'm thinking the worst and wondering you know oh we you know we have a case what what's going on so immediately i i got a hold of our business manager and the the case had been self-reported uh, we had learned from uh, an individual who who had said they had tested positive uh, but were asymptomatic so of course that is always uh, better and and we can show that what we did in our schools to mitigate the risk and the spread uh, we well, we did it right so <clears throat> after that immediately I tried to call the health department and I, I had a contact there already, uh, one of the nurses who I knew personally, and she got me in touch with the infectious disease specialist. Unfortunately, we had to wait for uh, two or three hours before we were able to get confirmation from the health department. And I had to ask specifically uh, who had, or excuse me, I had to ask specifically if they had gotten the information about the positive case. And so they confirmed for me. At that point, we uh, initiated contact tracing and and I gave the health department a list of all the individuals who we thought might have been in close contact. And lucky for us, it was not too many individuals. Uh, However, we we gave them the information. We immediately uh, alerted our staff members. We immediately alerted uh, those who were in close contact. So we made sure we made personal contact with them as well. And we let them know that the health department would be in touch. Uh, From there, of course, we we had this idea in our head that this might happen. And we already had some communication prepared in advance uh, to to tell our community what our plan would be and how we would proceed. You mentioned you, you sort of handled the contact tracing. I know a lot of superintendents are worried about that contact tracing because that spider web can get pretty big of all the people who could potentially be infected. Why, what, what, why did you, your district decide to take on that responsibility? So the way that we had our model set up is that the person who was, te- or who tested positive had only been in close contact or what who we thought might've been close contact with about 10 individuals. So it was manageable for us and we were lucky. Uh, There are other places in our district, other buildings where if there was a positive case, it would have been much more difficult to manage. Uh, But in the future, now that we know and we've learned through this experience that we we can confidently say that the majority of people that uh, an infected person or, or somebody who tests positive comes in contact with is not considered true close contact. One of the things I learned in my communication from the health department is when they call to do contact tracing, they are going to talk to each individual and truly determine if they would be a risk or if they would be a close contact. The difficulty, I think, with everybody is that there's a lot of fear out there. And anybody who is around the person who tested positive, of course, is going to be fearful and they're going to want to get tested. They're going to want to do it on their own. And I think that's very challenging for schools 
is we're going to have staff members, teachers, bus drivers, whoever it may be, that are going to want to exclude themselves from school, even when they're not considered in close contact. And so what the message that we keep trying to drive and, and communicate to all stakeholders in our school is that the health department will work with us to ensure that we are quarantining the right individuals. And as long as we can work together and get them that information that they need, the best that we can, of course, it may not be perfect, that we have to trust in their expertise and their judgment and, and our staff and, and students and families do too. This kind of leads into the, the the next question there about, it was sort of how do you decide whether to sort of quarantine a classroom, shut down a building or go remote? I imagine you're working really closely with the health department on, on that decision. <laughs> you would think so. Um, the That was largely a decision that was uh, on us completely. Uh, we, we didn't have much guidance from the health department on what we should do. And I think that's an issue. I, I have, I have spoken uh, on several occasions recently about how I think that, that the lack of consistency and the lack of direction for schools in, in one of these cases is a problem because we're seeing all of us throughout the state who have these cases operate differently. Since July, as cases started rising in Sangamon County, we communicated out to our families and communi community that if we had one case in our building, the initial case, we would shut down and we, we would go remote. I don't know if that's the right decision. I think it was the best decision and we erred on the side of caution, but I'm not certain it is the right one. And I don't think anybody has that answer, any school or the health department. But what we're doing now, because we did shut down our school and it was our decision to do that, is we are trying to collect as much data as we can to determine if it's safe for us to go back. So we're monitoring the case very closely. We're monitoring the individuals who are in close contact. We're going, to, we're going to send out a survey very soon to our students, teachers, and families to see what their preference would be on our learning model for the remainder of the year. And we're going to monitor the data in our county and region as well to see if it's truly is safe. One of the challenges is right now with the, the way that the uh, IDPH has released guidance is we're operating on a one symptom exclusion. So we could have a lot of individuals who get excluded from school that teachers, staff members, whoever it may be, that we might not be able to operate uh, if we get to the point where we have 20%, let's say, of our staff out and we'll have to go remote again. So that's a, that's a consideration for us as well going forward. But what I am confident in is in our model and how we operated in our first three days with students is we were able to mitigate the spread. We did every little thing right. Our teachers did a phenomenal job. Our students did a phenomenal job. And I think if we do go back, we can do it safely. The problem is that we may eventually run out of staff and we won't be able to do it for much longer. It sounds like you did try to do every everything you can. Was there still blowback when you made the decision uh, to go remote, even though it sounds like you were kind of trying to communicate that the best you could? If, if, a, if we had a positive case, this is what we do. But I imagine it was still hard on a lot of people in your community. You know, it, I, I know it has been. I, I can't argue that. I know it's been difficult. However, we have not received much negative feedback at all. Uh, there, you know, there's, there's pockets here and there, and there's always people that don't agree. And our board president said to me, and, and we keep reiterating over and over again, and this was just recent. She said, you know, every single decision we make in this case, we're right and we're wrong. And 50% of the people are going to agree with it and 50% aren't. 
But what we did, I think, a good job of is communicate early and often that this is a possibility. Get ready for it. It is coming. It's inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And that we need to be prepared and you need to be prepared as parents for this possibility. And so now we're working to pivot and, and, and change and adapt our remote learning from what we did in the spring to what we're doing now. And it, it is much improved. But I, you know, I, I have to say that I, I think that our community has largely been very supportive and patient. And, and I, I thank them for that. I, I know it's not like that everywhere. And I, I think Riverton is a special place in that regard. I saw some news articles where you, you you put out like a tentative date of, of when you could possibly return, but it sounds like, is that sort of still fluid? You're getting a surveying parents and you're still sort of working on the kind of how you're going to come back plan. Absolutely. So we initially reported, I, I would say, you know, again, back in July that if there was a positive case, we would monitor it monthly. We would report out at our, our regular board meetings, and we would allow families another week to prepare for a switch to a different learning model. But now, as we look more at this case, and we collect data and try to gather as much information as possible, and I think the big thing that I'm looking for more than anything is I want to know what the students want. I think it's very important to take into consideration our families and our teachers and our staff, but, but really, we're here to serve students. And I want to know what they want. If they want to jump back and forth all year where we have a few days in person and then we largely go remote, then, then I think I, I would like to see us do that if that is what the students want. But we're, we're definitely operating on, a, on the subject to change uh, language in that we released information on these were our, our dates that we're thinking. But of course, we know throughout all of this, everything is subject to change. And I think that our, our community will absolutely uh, be on board with anything that we propose if, if we decide to go back earlier uh, than what we said, which was the date was September 21st, or if we decide to push that off uh, because we don't think it's safe to return. I think they'll be supportive because of how we've communicated and how we're still trying to serve our students. You know, you mentioned Riverton is a, is a lower income district. Uh, in some cases, that can mean some of your students and families don't quite have the access to technology and devices. If you're going remote from the beginning, maybe it's a little bit easier to plan and get the devices in the hands of students a little bit easier. But you guys uh, were doing a hybrid approach. What are you doing now uh, with devices now that everybody is remote? Is there a push to get some? And I know that sometimes they're just they're hard to get a hold of right now because so many districts need them. So we were anticipating that we were going to go remote at some time. So I instructed our principals to get devices in kids' hands when they're in, in the building and let them take them home. So at our August board meeting, our board approved a, uh, a, a device release with a potential fee attached to it if there is any damage to the devices. And we worked diligently uh, to get the devices prepared. During that same week, we had already ordered 300 additional devices uh, that we were able to get shipped in. And our staff members, and I, myself included, since I was there at the time, work together to get everything ready to go. So we were able to get devices in students' hands. We, of course, did not get every kid, but we got the majority of them. They have them ready. 
And now we've set up appointments for kids to come in and get a device and sign off on our agreement if they need one. We're now looking at uh, increasing our iPad inventory for our preschool students. And, and we believe we have a vendor for that and we're able to get that done. And I, I have to thank our business manager, his name's Mike Gum, uh, for, for orchestrating all of this. Another issue we've had, and we surveyed our families early in the year, is that uh, we have a significant portion of people that don't have internet access. And so with our initial survey for returning to learn, uh, we estimated that 4% of our families don't have internet, which is about 60 individuals. So we ordered 60 hotspots uh, that are, uh, honestly, the, the way they work baffles me because they're hooked up to our network, but they are uh, accessed remotely. And we have begun distributing those today. So uh, we're able to get devices and technology in kids' hands. We're able to teach our families how to use them. We, we had parent-teacher conferences uh, during our remote learning planning days to help parents and families understand how learning is going to look throughout the year. And we were able to uh, teach kids a little bit when they were in our buildings. And, and our intent really of, of doing our hybrid model and, and initially how, how it was set up was to set them up for success. And I think we've done that. And of course, it, it'll get better as we learn through this. Uh, our, our high school principal, his name's Mr. Matt Moore, said to our high school staff on one of the first days that we're all kind of like first year teachers right now. And we're all learning and improving and we will continue to improve as the year goes on and, and we'll continue to learn new ways of how to reach kids through technology or, or whatever it may be. And so I think we have to remember that uh, through this. And I hope our students remember that as well and our families, too, that, that this is a learning experience. But we try to work together uh, to get through that, whether it be through the availability of technology or how we are getting the meals when they're not at school. Uh, that is our intent, is to work together and provide everything that we can for our community. Move to just sort of a uh, big picture, take some takeaways. Uh, anything that you thought maybe you were prepared, prepared for, but it turned out to be a lot harder than you expected? Yeah, you know, the, the one issue you already mentioned that uh, we thought we were prepared for, I thought, at least initially, was the return to the possible return to our uh, a hybrid in-person model date, which I thought, okay, we're, you know, we can do this. We're prepared. I, I, I have an idea of how to monitor the data and this and that, but we weren't. And so that's, that's the thing that we're working on this week is how can we collect the right, uh, right data and how can we hear from our students and get their input on this before we truly make a decision and, and try to do what's best for our community. And, and I would say, I mean, above all else, that has been the, the most challenging thing is trying to figure out when the timing is right to go back and if the timing is right and then really what to do in the future. And, and we're using this case as evidence and we're using it to, to try to guide us in the future on our decisions throughout the rest of this year and, and hopefully throughout the rest of this year and not into next year. How about on the flip side, any, has there been any silver linings or something that you've learned through this that could help your district moving forward? I would say just the experience through it. We don't truly know how to react or operate or decide upon things until we get into it. And this is a case that's new to everybody. I, I've only been a superintendent for three years. This is my, I'm going into my third year, excuse me. But there are others who have been in, in this position for 20 years who have never experienced anything like this and it's different than anything else we will hopefully ever experience so 
I think what, what we're doing truly is learning and improving through our first case and, and trying to take what we have learned through this to improve through the rest of the year. To close, uh, any final thoughts or pieces of piece of advice uh, for your for fellow superintendents out there who may be listening? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it, it's whatever decision that is made, again, for, you know, coming from our board president is the right decision. Whatever decision is the wrong decision. But what's important is that we do make a decision and we have to do it quickly, but we have to rely on those who are experts in the field. And while I, I think that the, our local health department has been helpful, what's challenging for us is that, again, there's a lack of consistency on what we are all doing. And so, it, you know, it's difficult. We try to work together. I know us in our region try to work together and, and those and others as well, I'm sure. But what, what we want to try to have truly is, is consistency in our decisions. And it's very difficult for being in individual communities. But it is important that we do decide and that we do uh, move forward and we're confident in those decisions. I would also say, you know, looking at our plan, we did every little thing right. We did everything right. We had kids wearing masks. Our teachers did a great job of making sure that was happening. We socially distanced. We were increasing our cleaning and disinfection in our buildings. We had the appropriate PPE. Everything was right. And it, it shows us that even if we did everything right, the virus can still come into our buildings and it's an inevitability. The, the key is, is that we communicate early and that we plan and that we ensure that we are keeping our kids safe above all else and everything else will, will work out. Yeah. Find comfort in the process. I think that for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Brad, thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing a little bit of some of the lessons that you learned throughout this. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you having me.